You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM presents Stand with Candace Kelly. This show takes a look at social justice issues impacting society. Here's your host, Rowan University professor Candace Kelly. Roll Up Life Inc. brings your favorite cannabis products right to your doorstep. A rare approach, but what's even more rare is that Roll Up Life Inc. is owned by people of color. Now, this is no easy feat. Blacks are four times more likely to get arrested for cannabis charges, but they're smoked out of getting into the legal marijuana game. Precious Osage Oresse is co-founder and COO of Roll Up Life, Inc., and she is doing what she can do to stand up and change the color of the cannabis industry and carry out the mission of the company's social equity program. Precious, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Candace, for having me. This whole process has been a learning curve for you, and in fact, that's how you really got started. You educated yourself about this marijuana game, this cannabis game. And I want to know what you found out in your research that propelled you to start up this very, very unique business, not just in New Jersey, but it's a unique business all over the country. It was breathtaking what I found out and not necessarily in the best way. Um, (laughs) I tell people my introduction into the cannabis industry was pure research. When my really good friend and founder of our company presented the idea of even starting this company or getting into the industry. I actually turned it down. Um, I had nothing. I wanted to have nothing to do with the cannabis industry because I only understood it from a negative side of what I've seen happen in my community with arrest rates, with incarceration. But I was so curious after he presented this to me back all the way back in 2016 when our state was just fully medical and uh, we were just revamping our medical laws. So I kind of took some time, actually a full year. And I just continued to read and I just continued to unpack and study and learn because I was really asking why is so much money or revenue being generated from what I'm seeing people daily get arrested for? Like there was just a big missing gap there. Mm -hmm. There was not enough information out there for people to want to take an active approach to the, the cannabis industry in a new light now that it is a legal and regulated industry. Um, so fast forward almost a year later, maybe in 2017, um, my co-founder, he comes back and says, well, are you ready to join? I'm like, I think I'm ready to join. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we just started building the business big by brick and we found our special sauce to be in that delivery side. Um, being that, you know, we were familiar with the convenience of it and how just, um, the East coast would kind of really, you know, take, take part to that. And that was still new for the industry. But that was pretty much my, my start. When I found out the discrepancies from how the war on drugs affected people of color and versus our other counterparts, it was almost disturbing. Mm. And that's where I wanted to come in and start to see change. And again, the more I unpacked, the more I saw the gap. And it just kind of really motivated us to say, oh, no, the it stops now. There's, there's got to be a different way to approach equity for people of color in this industry. And so you jumped right in. Um, for people who don't know, uh, or having gathered, you are based in New Jersey. 
I, I know yeah. that there's a lot that you do. Talk to me about some of the red tape that you might have had to cut through because there are a lot of people that want to get into this multi-billion dollar game. Um, yeah. But there are steps that you have to take. For you, what was it like actually getting into the business? And then I also want to know what you do on a day-to-day. I want to know what people are ordering. I want to know what, what your life looks like. But first of all, again, red tape. What did you have to go through to get established? Yeah, absolutely. So here at Roll Up Like Inc., we are a CBD delivery and technology company. We're aspiring to be a adult use and medical uh, cannabis delivery company now that the state has created that license type. So we help make sure that CBD products get into the hands of people who are actively looking to sort of kind of introduce themselves to plant medicine, introduce themselves to cannabis, but on a um, more on a hemp derived field rather than just going towards pure THC. And we wanted to offer people the convenience of having it delivered to their doorsteps because I love to have things delivered to my doorsteps. <laughs> so that was the initial <laughs> that was the initial premise of the business was to provide access to patients eventually. But for people who were just interested, we figured that'd be the first way of even just spreading information about um, the regulated side and even hemp and CBD products. Right, but as I, we were starting to grow, yes. Mm-hmm, well, I can imagine yep. that there were a lot of people who can't even get out um, if they are and have some medical needs that this delivery service would be very good for them if they are dealing with a cancer or dealing with other ailments that might keep them at home. Exactly. And that was where we really wanted to be a touch point and be a support for that element in that delivery landscape. But again, that was really on the CBD side where CBD is available to everyone over 21 um, and can be used really as like plant medicine, replacements for things that you generally use every day, like Tylenol or Advil. It's like an introduction here um, to other cannabis products. But as we were growing to um, transition to building our company to be prepared to deliver adult use cannabis and medical cannabis, that's where we started to see these huge barriers. We started to see these huge costs to even participate in licensing, to even participate in the application process. We started to see the limited areas for people who are accessing or um, municipalities, rather, who are, you know, looking forward to having a cannabis business there. We had to figure out, well, where can we actually headquarter? Um, We had to figure out, well, where can we sort of build equity around here? How can we see more people of color jump into this industry with us? And the more and more we started to dig, it kind of felt like the, the more and more we were getting pushed back mm. in, a, in a sense, because, again, a lot of this information isn't super readily available. Um, me and my founder, we spent a lot of money traveling. We would travel to Massachusetts, to Colorado, to California to um, establish markets to study. We needed to see with our very own eyes how it actually works. Uh, what what are the compliance around there? How do you actually safely transport products from point A to point B? So again, still a, a tough learning curve, but you have to kind of get there to even be able to put that into a business plan. Right. And, and you mentioned, you mentioned uh, transporting and, and I, I would imagine that's key because you cross state lines and there are different laws that apply. Everywhere. Yes. Because there is a federal legalization, a blanket law that says this is how it operates. Um, every state has its own autonomy. So one licensing process can be completely different from another licensing process. Um, but however, most of the business plans and most of the business operations are similar. That's where we really wanted to do a lot of market study. And again, it didn't really exist in New Jersey delivery. So we wanted to be one of the first people to bring all that information we learned back in 2016, 2017 
understanding that legalization was coming, we kind of had that foresight to be able to put that on the table and say, here's how delivery's been working. Here are the benefits of it. Here are the safety of it. But as I mentioned, while doing that, we experienced so many different barriers that make it extremely difficult for people of color to enter, really starting with financing and banking. We don't have access to traditional banking. I can't go to a, a regular bank to get a loan to finance all the things we're doing for our business. It has to be bootstrapped or we bring investors involved. And then when you bring investors, you have to think about the different predatory deals that can be there because they also see cannabis as a cash cow mm-hmm. and they want their return. So how do you maintain full black ownership of your company, even though you're going to need financial support? So this and then on top of a lot of policy regulations that didn't really speak to equity at the beginning um, were just really sort of, it could have stopped anybody. Sometimes I ask my co-founder, I'm like, how did we even persevere? Because those were really major stop gaps. It made us have to sit, go back to the drawing table and figure out new ways to grow. But we've just been fortunate and able to continue to do so and want to let a lot of people know that it is doable. It's a lot of work, effort and time, but you can get there as well. Precious, you mentioned some of the costs. What are some of the costs right now? I think that it's changed since the law was passed, but it's still, you know, we're not talking hundreds of dollars. We are talking thousands. What types of costs, if somebody wants to jump into this game full throttle, what are they looking at? Yeah, it definitely varies on what part of the supply chain you want to enter from. Um, Those who are familiar with the cannabis cultivation sometimes is the highest part of the supply chain where you're a grower. You can incur costs just to start up of upwards of a million dollars. Um, before New Jersey revamped its social equity prioritization, um, application fees were $20,000 alone just to apply. Hmm. So whether you were going to win or not, you had to have $20,000 laying around somewhere. If you look around the country, we have Connecticut that launched a social equity program for, again, cultivation with a ticket of $3 million just to be able to sort of kind of play in that field of cultivation. And actually, that's what really drives us to look at delivery because it was just way too expensive to look into the dispensary end of things where you're looking at startup costs of upwards of $250,000 just for operations. Thinking about if you're building a regular business, you can equate it to a restaurant or a hardware store or whatever. You still need to pay rent or a lease or own your building. You still have to do all of the build-up costs. You still have to do all of the operations and employees. And again, we don't have access to traditional banking, so that financing has to come from somewhere. So it does come with a huge meal ticket, but we're excited to see how New Jersey lowered those application costs as one of the ways to kind of ease that burden, especially for social equity applicants. Now, um, applications are way under $1,000 just to be able to apply. And then when you win the license, or if you win a license, you will then be charged yearly for your annual license, which can start upwards of $10,000, which would make sense because you'll be and revenue from your business. So, yeah, that that right there, I think, is the big reason why so many people don't want to sort of dive right in because um, it comes with a big meal ticket. Myself and my um, co-founder, we have one investor, but outside of that, we completely bootstrapped the company. I was working two jobs, he was working, and we just kept putting all our finances (laughs) into the business because we were that dedicated to it. And then once we were able to be at a position where we were able to create a deck and reach out to investors for support that were meaningful and investors that related to our mission, 
um, that's how we continue to finance our company. So you, you're, you are a tech company, you are a delivery company, but you also have a social justice mission. Um, yes. I understand that you actually sit and work with people when it comes to expungement, because those people who have these marijuana convictions, they can, in fact, get their records expunged. I don't know how simple it is or how difficult, but w- talk to me about that process and how you help people connect them, uh, in fact, with attorneys. Yeah. So like I mentioned, one of the most jarring things I found while learning about this industry was just the discrepancy between people of color and how we were um, marginalized and arrested for the same product that is being sold and regulated and incurring billions of dollars. And I pride myself on being a daughter from the city of East Orange, raised here, went to high school here. This is my community. And I understood the people in my community. I knew a lot of them have suffered from minor possession, cannabis convictions um, at some point, whether they were, you know, young, got pulled over, had small ounces of cannabis and served time. There are people who were currently serving time and then they'll come out and see this whole marketplace around something they spent, you know, years in prison for. I think that's the most astounding thing that needs to be changed about the industry. And while I couldn't move mountains around the world, me and my founder were super dedicated to making sure at least people in our community had access and understood what it would be like to participate in this industry. And some of that meant having their records expunged so they can be a part of the workforce. Um, Actually now as a social equity applicant, if you had any minor cannabis offenses, that actually puts you at a a prioritization level. There are people who still want to have that, those things concealed because it stops them from housing, um, loans, so many other items of your life. So, um, we started to work with several different law firms, our partners, Mike Hoffman, um, Dwayne Morris, and we wanted to put together an expungement program. Um, since the legalization of cannabis in New Jersey, there's been rapid expungements for cannabis on the state level. Um, the last I checked was well over 300,000 automatic expungements that's been going on for cannabis. But we were also noticing a discrepancy for that for people of color. So we wanted to bring attorneys into our city who can kind of have those one-on-one pro bono conversations with our community members who have prior cannabis convictions so that they are a part of that automated system and are doing the right filing and processes for that. And when I tell you, I was blown away by the impact. Actually, this Saturday, we have some of the clients meeting one-on-one pro bono with the law team, and they're finding it to be one of the most successful expungements because they're having that that interaction with lawyers, where sometimes you have to pay hundreds of dollars just so you know, have those sit downs. I love right. lawyers, but you know, that's just the last person you want to call. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just to have a consultation. But again, <laughs> there are so many law firms who are looking to do this work. So we were lucky enough to partner with a few and bring their pro bono um, services to our city. And now they're taking advantage of it. And we've already actually at the day of our expungement, we were able to provide one person with their full expungement um, um, file. So their stuff was sealed and done. We had it done in 24 hours because he had a minor cannabis conviction. That's amazing. So we wanted to make sure we were taking advantage of that expungement program that the state has um, ensured, but make sure it really touched home in our community so that they're first up 
and ready to participate in the cannabis industry. Yeah, a lot of exchange of just good information. Sometimes, as you said, people don't know where to go. And then a consultation, if it's $500, well, then that's just another setback. You mentioned the se- the social equity portion of the law. There is, I believe, um, what, 15% of licenses set aside for people of color. How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So within the statute, when the framework of legalization was happening in New Jersey, our legislators wanted to make sure that there were set aside for minorities to be able to have access to licensing. So they carved out percentages of licensing to go to minorities. So 30% of licensing, 15% going specifically to people of color, and another 15% going to our veteran-owned or women-owned businesses. And that was very important because it let us know that we wanted to see an even playing field. If you look around the cannabis market, across the country. That's not really what you see in other states in terms of licensing and who owns what. Actually, there's recent data that shows from Bloomberg that only 2% of licenses across the country are Black-owned. And mind you, this is a $30 billion industry. So 2% of licensing is very minimal, if not nothing, compared to what we're seeing. Mm. So that was a huge step for New Jersey to take. And then with our commission coming in, they implemented prioritization review for applications. Mind you, this is a very competitive process. I think that's another issue that's a barrier, the highly competitive nature, because these licenses are inflated. People in Illinois, you can win a license and sell it for 3 to $10 million. That's a life-changing event for some people. Um, so when you have that and you have license cap, it inflates the value of a license and it creates a highly competitive um, application process. And because our state is going to be super competitive, um, <laughs> we loved how our CRC put together a prioritization status for, again, social equity applicants, who I mentioned those who either had previous cannabis convictions, diversely owned businesses, which means you either have an NBE or a WMBE showing that you're minority owned, mm-hmm. or you come from an impact zone, so where you're headquartered in a city that has seen and bore the brunt of the war on drugs. So that right there should really start to place the people um, who we want to see reflected in, the, in this industry at the top of the categories to be selected for licensing. Before we go to break, I want to ask this question. On a day-to-day, what is it that people actually order? What are you delivering? What What's the popular thread that you're seeing in terms of your day-to-day business and what you do? Roll Up Life is an amazing, an amazing platform if you're looking to get into just trying out some CBD products. Um, one of our very best sellers are Wild CBD com- um, Gummies. They're produced by a company out in Oregon. So I like to mention that while CBD is not the same as THC is derived from the hemp plant, it is very accessible. You'll see CBD products from the West Coast and the East Coast and vice versa. And again, it's that small introduction to cannabis because it doesn't have any of the psychoactive effects that THC would have. Rather, it has a lot of healing properties that um, people can use. And then just start to learn and see how it adapts to your cannabinoid system. Um, so our CBD gummies are very, very popular. We also have CBD teas and tinctures that you can kind of use in a daily, everyday basis to sort of promote wellness and health. Um, so we do a lot of processing of those orders. We ship them out. Sometimes we are, um, able to hand deliver those in our community. If you're any stars, we like to walk up to you (laughs) and do a full informational session about what it is you purchase. Mm -hmm. People can reach out to us and, get the full rundown of the different um, the different items on our platform that you can order, that you can use, and how they actually benefit your everyday. We even have items for pets now. Um, how we sort of wow. done it is that we built, um, we partnered with other CBD vendors who have a plethora of items, 
And we just kind of bring that access here to our community, to East Orange, to Essex County, to New Jersey, as that slow introduction to what can then transform into full-on cannabis, which would be cannabis flower, um, you know, and other cannabis items as regulated by our commission. So that's pretty much our day-to-day is getting those items out and doing pure education and letting people know how these products can help. And then again, a lot of people ask us, well, how do I even just get into this industry? And that's now a part of our whole mission. So your dog, your Fido, it can in fact be in this game too. That's what you're telling me. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, more with Roll Up Life Inc. after the break. And we are back with Roll Up Life Inc., COO, Precious Osage Orese, beautiful name, by the way. When it comes to THC, when it comes to CBD, what are the differences? What should people understand? So one of the main differences I always say about CBD and THC is that CBD is a hemp-derived product, which means it contains a trace of THC. So you won't get those psychoactive effects you usually get from THC, which is known as Delta-9 where you'll um, sort of feel those psychoactive effects that make you feel a lot more relaxed, a lot more, you know, in a trance, a a lot more um, lucid, I would say. And again, these products especially benefit medical patients because there are people suffering from severe, severe um, issues that require that THC um, lucidness that brings endorphins to make them relax and alleviate that pain. So CBD is a derived from hemp, which is sort of like a cousin of marijuana of the marijuana plant, it does the same without that. It kind of still gives you those wellness proponents that you would need if you suffer from things like anxiety, insomnia, chronic pain, but you don't want to necessarily tour into any opiates. You know, I really do think um, cannabis could be that new term that eliminates the use of opiates as we see, um, which can be very addictive. This is all public information mm-hmm. and open research you two can get just to kind of really see how, each, what products you might need to to help with your wellness journey. Once the plant started to be used a lot for medical reasons and treatings that were successful, even cancer patients are currently using cannabis as a way to manage pain. Um, I think the question kind of knocked every single legislator on a federal level and on a state level and say, well, how is this still a scheduled drug? How is this still nationally illegal if it's definitely saving lives? Mm. So that is always, I remind people, that is always the premise of the plant is for healing and is for medical needs. While now we also can enjoy it recreationally as part of our, you know, sort of everyday sort of relaxation method. Some people might go to that glass of wine. Other people might go to that little bit of cannabis. Um, I like to introduce cannabis in a way that you're using it to sort of propel your wellness. So, yes, there are, you know, different sorts, different types of consumers out there. And we appreciate all of them because we understand now the safety and the benefits of cannabis for your system, your, your endocannabinoid system, and how it affects your neurotransmitters in your brain. But we also, I personally also like to promote microdosing in ways that you're actually intentionally using cannabis to better strengthen your everyday. Like, for instance, for myself. I do a lot of busy things throughout the day and it can kind of keep my shoulders all the way up to my ears. And I'll feel so tense and just like, oh, where's this anxiety and tension coming from? Mm-hmm. Because I have a large workload. Microdosing has been a godsend to me in a sense where I now am able to take small incremental bits of cannabis between five milligrams and 10 milligrams, even CBD wise. And that's what gives me that relaxation. 
brings my body back to homeostasis. It's not necessarily this crazy high. People have to understand that that you that you have to buy it from um, a licensed place. It is it is a measured process. It is not yeah. um, the way that you might understand. Like, oh, and I know a good weed guy. That is not what the law no. is is exactly. is protecting. And the law is really protecting safety. When I tell you, again, we have seen on a national level um, debts related to cannabis products that had added fentanyl or added other products that are not supposed to be in there that you might find in the legacy market, the black market, the underground market, um, what you deem to call it. But what a regulated market does is it promotes safety on every product. And I studied this pretty well in Massachusetts. You are able to see every single ingredient that went into that product. There are product caps on how much THC can actually be in one product. There are caps on how much you can even buy at one time when that adult use market opens. So there's a lot of safeguards that prevent people from abusing the use of cannabis rather um, and making sure that there are incremental uses of it. And that's what I really appreciate about the regulated market is that it is safety. Uh, we won't have to hear about people using untested products that can lead to other health negatives that we don't want to see. Um, the regulated market and what our commission here is trying to do is promote safety. You should be able to see everything that you're putting in your body and understand it at the at the utmost level with this product. It really sounds like the law and what you were trying to do in terms of approaching everything from a wellness standpoint is trying to stamp out this notion of, hey, marijuana is the gateway drug leading to yeah. other bigger drugs. It, it, it certainly sounds like you framed it in a way um, that is certainly more acceptable and and a lot easier for people to understand, including your parents. You are in your 20s. Yeah. You're, you're in your 20s, yeah. right? Um, yes. You, when you graduated from college, I'm sure mom and dad did not think that this is where you were going. I understand that you made a PowerPoint presentation to share with them, <laughs> hey, look, mom and dad, this is what I'm doing, but you had to inform them too. It was an educational process. Yeah. Oh my God, absolutely. So I'm 27. At the time I started a lot of this, I was 24, 25. And after attending Howard University, I went to Columbia University in New York here where I received my master's in journalism. So I was always on a communications journalism track. I've worked before with like CNN and NBC and they were just like kind of so happy, you know, proud parents. They're like, yes, my daughter is doing that. So when I just kind of like, okay, career change <laughs> into the cannabis industry, they were kind of like stuck for a while. So what I actually had to do, I had to prepare a PowerPoint presentation. I come from a Nigerian household. And yes, back in the day, we were told cannabis is bad. Marijuana is bad. Stay away from them. And I believed it. Hence why I told my founder no um, the first time he approached me. I said, uh-uh, I have no business Not with my mom and dad. <laughs> Not me. But and if anybody knows anything way. about Nigerian parents, we know that education is key. And that is the way that you're mm -hmm. going to go. And it is hard to, to, to convince them otherwise. It's the only way to go. Right. <laughs> so I knew I had the hardest task of convincing my family to really start to re-understand this product. So I had to kind of put everything I learned in that year of, of, of you know, just researching into like a simple PowerPoint presentation. And I just explained, here is the new cannabis. <laughs> I told them everything I knew. But you know what the, the, I think what the really changing factor was when I started to bring out the numbers <laughs> right. and explain to them the impact and the economic revenue and the reinvestment that we've been seeing from, um, from, from, from sales from cannabis from the regulated market. And I think that was the aha moment for them. 
But either way, I always say to myself, I'm able to convince my parents that this new industry is something worthwhile and something worth seeing. Because again, I never thought I'd be in a space where I'm able to experience a new industry and be in the at the front of it and be able to learn from it and help shape it. Uh, once I explained that to them, they were like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. OK, go ahead. Go go kill it. <laughs> right, right, right. Go kill it, which which you are. And I thank you so much for being with us today and really sharing your experience of what you are doing, which is your you are a pioneer in all of this. Thank you so much for being on stand today. Thank you so much, Candice, for having me. Precious Osage Orese, COO of Roll Up Life, Inc. Again, thank you for sharing what you're doing to stand up and change the color of the cannabis industry. You've been listening to Stand with Candace Kelly. Please join us Saturday morning at 8.30 for another episode on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM and by searching for Rowan Radio on your favorite podcasting platforms.